Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, this is Dr. Fred. You're listening to another episode of Study, Grow, Know, and thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Um, Before we get into the main article, which is uh, uh, part five of Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, I just wanted to kind of mention a couple of things and provide you with some more links in the transcript for your continued research. It appears that the gulf between those who believe everything Fauci says and those who think he's a modern-day Mengele continues to grow wider. Now, regardless of how much additional information appears regarding financial incentives to hospitals or how well ivermectin might work as a curative for CV, people appear to be worlds apart. Not sure, frankly, if anything can be done that would bring these two groups closer together. Our position is the same as it's always been. Early treatments should have been tried and not completely swept off the table. While everyone was told to sit tight and let's just wait for the vax, there's really nothing to do. Unfortunately, the vax has woefully underperformed. And while everyone avoided others waiting for something, herd immunity could not and did not happen. Now, it's to a point where too many vaxxed individuals are experiencing moderate to severe adverse reactions, injuries, and even deaths to continue to ignore it. And yet, ignoring it is all exactly what MSM continues doing, just like many of the politicians, many of the leaders, health officials, just like they're ignoring the major push for freedom created by truckers in Canada and the USA and parts of the world. Time will reveal what's going to happen. Nonetheless, for those interested in persevering in their research, uh, I've got a bunch of links for you, as I mentioned at the top of the transcript. Now, let's get on with our next one, uh, the next installment of Daniel 7 and and Revelation 13, which now is part five. We highlighted in the previous episode the seven heads and ten horns of the beast. And from the previous article, I wrote the following. In my view, this is referring to the last head of this beast, which is the Roman Empire. Here is where it gets a bit interesting. There are seven heads that John sees when this beast comes up out of the sea. Now, when Daniel saw this beast, it did not have seven heads, but it did have ten toes. This specific beast now has seven heads and ten horns with a crown on each horn. Therefore, in my view, these seven heads all belong to the final beast or the final kingdom, which is representative of the various stages that Rome went through as it began to grow into an empire until it will become the final revived Roman Empire, the last global kingdom that God allows before he returns. Now, I provided a possible meaning of the seven heads based on Dr. Arnold G. Fruchtenbaum's book, Footsteps of the Messiah. We left off the last entry in this series stating that we would get into Revelation 13, and this is what we're going to do in this episode today. Bear in mind that because I'm now publishing the series, A Walk Through Revelation, the same subject will be dealt with when we arrive to that chapter in the video teaching. 
Now, we went over the first four verses of Revelation 13 last time, concluding that the coming Antichrist will be the ultimate ruler over the final global empire. And by the way, Revelation 17, 12 reminds us what John had already seen, which was the 10 kings, but then adds some important information. Quote, and the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So while John was first introduced to the 10 kings in Revelation 13, he learns a bit more about them in Revelation 17. In essence, notice that these 10 kings are said to receive royal power and that they'll rule for one hour together with the beast. Why one hour? Well, and is this one hour literal or does it have more of a generalized meaning to it? Well, the sense we get from scripture is that the 10 kings rule for a very short period of time. In fact, most conservative Bible scholars believe this one hour is simply meant to mean a very brief period of time, not necessarily or exactly one specific hour of 60 minutes. I mean, the word hour or even day is often used to signal a time period, but not necessarily the specific time mentioned. For instance, we've often heard the expression, well, in my day, that didn't exist. Well, what day is the person talking about? A specific 24-hour period? No, the person is using the word day to point to the fact that during the earlier years of his or her life, something did not exist then as it does today. And by the same token, we might hear someone say, oh, this is their finest hour, or that's an ungodly hour. These do not necessarily represent a specific period of 60 minutes. It's fine to take the word hour as used in Revelation 17, 12 to mean a very short period of time relative to the whole period of time that Antichrist rules, at least three and a half years. Exactly how long those 10 kings will reign is moot, but we know it won't be for long. Revelation 13, five through eight provides some interesting information regarding the character of the coming antichrist it says this and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against god to blaspheme his name his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And this is really a fascinating look uh, at the coming man of sin or man of lawlessness, as Paul refers to him in Second Thessalonians 2. This guy is given meaning some outside force gave him or will give to him the ability to use his mouth to boast great things as well as blasphemies. Now, along with this braggadocio mouth, it was granted to him and it will be granted to him to have authority to continue for 42 months. This 42 months is referencing the second half of the tribulation period of three and a half years. So to continue for 42 months means that he actually started his reign prior to the midpoint 
of the tribulation. Now, regarding this Antichrist, John notes three things about him in Revelation 13, 3 through 7. His conspiracy with the dragon, Revelation 13, 3 to 4. And of course, the dragon is Satan. His success in deceiving the whole world, Revelation 13, 3 to 4, and Revelation 13, 8. And his success in temporarily defeating God's saints, Revelation 13, 6 through 7. This is not a world as it will be known or part of the world. This man, this coming Antichrist, will deceive the entire world. His kingdom will be the entire world. Clearly, this coming Antichrist will have it all and will be allowed to strut his stuff and wear down and temporarily defeat God's saints, which are true believers during the tribulation. And the whole world will follow him because of his charisma, absolute self-confidence, charm when needed, and a recognized innate power and authority that will be his. Now, Looking at this from a secular perspective as an example, when we consider the ability, for instance, of the late Queen singer Freddie Mercury, we see a very small microcosm in him of how he was able to sway people. If you watch Queen's Live Aid performance, you will see that Mercury literally holds the crowd of roughly 150,000 concert goers in his hands. Whatever he tells them to do, they do. They are literally in love with Mercury. He had tremendous charisma, and it clearly came out during concerts and drew people to him. Now, imagine someone like that completely sold out to Satan, and because of it, fully indwelt with satanic power and authority. Satan will literally share his full authority with Antichrist, because Satan knows that when people begin worshiping Antichrist, they're ultimately worshiping him, Satan. It's this union of these two minds, Satan and Antichrist, that creates an unshakable bond. In essence, the two will become of one mind and purpose, with a human being, who will be, of course, the Antichrist, giving himself unreservedly to Satan and his power. Now, as I've mentioned before, during the coming tribulation period, Satan will create his counterfeit trinity with himself as God the Father, the Antichrist as God the Son, and then added to that the false prophet as the Holy Spirit. Now, the world in the future will see two persons of this false trinity walking this earth. These two human beings to be indwelt with Satan's full scope of power will be able to use that supernatural power to deceive those who are perishing. And as 2 Thessalonians 2.10 tells us, they, they perish because they do not love the truth so that they could be saved. The powers of persuasion from Antichrist and the false prophet will truly be deadly for most. Now, if I could compare this to what's happening today at a much smaller scale, it, it might make a little bit more sense. There appears to be two groups of people in society, as I mentioned before when I started this episode. One group believes everything Dr. Fauci says, and it doesn't matter how many times he has contradicted himself or what comes out that might negate what he is pushing. The other group finds it exceedingly difficult to believe anything Fauci says. Now, because of this, there are those who continue to believe that CB19 is the worst pandemic this world has ever faced and forcing people to accept the CB jab and any boosters offered along with any mandate is absolutely appropriate and should be done. 
On the other side are the people who reject the CV jab based on a number of things. And they also reject the mandates because they do not believe they promote actual health or safety, but instead promote control, injury, and death. So how is the gap between these two groups bridged? How is it possible to bring these two groups together? And does it even matter which group think is the correct version at this point? Well, in some ways, obviously it does. But as far as bringing these groups together, no, that doesn't matter. The reality is that no amount of quote unquote witnessing from one group to the other is really making any honest, noticeable difference. People have their beliefs and they appear to be sticking with them with no honest dialogue between the two. You'll notice, by the way, that not even Fauci and others of his ilk who think like him are willing to publicly debate any of the doctors that uh, have been silenced through censorship and banning and all that stuff. They're not even willing to debate them. Imagine this multiplied by 100 or 1,000 times or whatever the number would be when the Antichrist first becomes known to the world and works to bring world peace between Arabs and Jews. Now, it's very clear from Scripture that this Antichrist is not part of the 10 kings mentioned in Revelation 13 and 17, and also clearly outside that group, yet he seeks to gain control of of that group. And because he is literally indwelt by Satan and his power, he seems to have no problem gaining dominance over these 10 kings, eradicating three of them to show that he means business, with the remaining seven pledging their loyalty to him or likely being dealt with in the same way as the other kings. Now, I've mentioned Antiochus Epiphanes IV before, an historical figure, and he is, he's recognized by many biblical scholars as a type of Antichrist. And the reason Epiphanes was a type of Antichrist, because of his ability to draw people to himself via his charm and his deception, and because of his innate penchant for blaspheming Jehovah. The notable abilities of the beast are blasphemy against God and deception of the people. These activities also marked Antiochus Epiphanes, the prototype of the Antichrist. And that's from Dr. Thomas Constable. And he notes Daniel 7, 6, Daniel 7, 8, Daniel 7, 11, 7, 20, 7, 25, and 12, 7. Now, the coming Antichrist by no means will be a slouch. He will be very intelligent and will have a desire to bring about peace in the Middle East that allows the Jewish people to build their tribulation temple. And it will seem to the world that he does this because of his concern for peace throughout the world. But in reality, as Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, he will do it so that he can do exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes IV did in 168 B.C., but on a far grander scale. Instead of Antichrist desecrating the Holy of Holies by setting up a statue of Zeus and sacrificing a pig on the altar, Antichrist in the future will go inside the rebuilt temple, inside the Holy of Holies, and simply declare himself to be God. And when this happens, the false prophet will be on hand to issue a mandate that everyone in the world must bow and worship the first beast, who is the Antichrist. Anyone who does not will be brutally executed. And we'll take this up in our next episode. So I thank you for joining me. 
And until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 